Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. If you have a copy of God's Word, open up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament is where we're going to be today. So if you have a hard or digital copy of Scripture, I always invite you just to open it up. Um, I'll be reading from the NIV translation, and so uh, maybe you want to go along with me in that, but we'll also have some verses on the screen behind me um, if maybe you don't have a copy of Scripture. That way you can follow along with where we're going to be. So today we're continuing our December series called The Name. Just called the name. And in these uh, few weeks together, we're highlighting and examining four different names of Jesus that he was actually given hundreds of years before he was born. Something that nobody in the house can say. None of us got, got our name hundreds of years before we were born. But before Jesus was ever born, God inspired a prophet by the name of Isaiah to write these words. We've been reading them all month. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So God leads Isaiah to prophesy, to write these four names out. But here's the good news of the series. Not just that the baby got names, but here's the good news of the series, is that these weren't just names for a baby, but these were promises for a people. And those people are you and I. And so all series long, we've been breaking down each one of these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and today we will dive into the name Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. If you notice each one of those names, they have a descriptor, right? Wonderful, Mighty, Everlasting, and here's what Scripture says about God. Look at Psalm 90 on the screen, verse 1. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born Or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Scripture tells us that God has been, that he is, and that he always will be. In other words, he's everlasting. And so today, we're going to think about him as an everlasting father. Now, what I know is that maybe for some of you, with where you come from, with your life story, to think about God as an everlasting father is a really hard thing to wrap your mind around. Um, A famous Christian author uh, and thinker, A.W. Tozer, wrote this quote. He said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. I want you to stop for just a moment and like think about that for a second. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Now, the reality is in a room of this size and those of you joining us online, we think about God in a lot of different ways. We have a lot of different perspectives, even in the good Bible Belt, on who God is and what his character is. For some of us, we think of God like this big cosmic force, like up in the heavens. And he, like he created everything. We're down with that. But we're like, man, you can't really know him. Like you can't have a relationship with him. Like he's just big and powerful. And for some people, that's how you process God. He's like this cosmic force. Others of you, um, you like think about God like a grandpa. He's like grandpa God. And you're like, man, yeah, he's just the old big man upstairs. And, and, and you think like he's really kind of out of touch with everything going on in the world. Like he's, he doesn't really like our clothing or our music. He's really out of touch. But, but hey, at least once a week, like he kind of slides his rocking chair over to the edge of heaven, turns up his little musical ears and leans down. And for Sundays for like one hour, he just kind of listens in on his kids and he just smiles like a grandpa. Some of you, like, that's how you've kind of viewed God before. Others of you, be real, you view God like he's like a referee or like a cop. 
Because he just watches every move that you make. He's just waiting to catch you. Is he not? Like he's just waiting to call something out that you do that's wrong. And so it's kind of like last week at work, like when you let that four-letter word slip, like he blows the whistle, 15 yards, illegal use of the mouth, and you're going to hell. Don't do that anymore. Some of you, like that's how you process God. Because you think, you think that like it's just constant judgment, condemnation. Think of God like this referee or cop. For others of you, it's like a lawyer. Like God's like a lawyer, and you're in this constant place of negotiation, right? Constant place, back and forth. And you're like, God, if I do these good works, how about you raise me some grace? And so some of you, like this week, you, I'm trying to keep you from going there. You're going to be like, God, we made it to the gathering, 10 o'clock. We even got the kids there on time. Like we all made it. How about, how, how about a promotion at work uh, just in return? How about, how about you slide that in? And, and we, get, we get in this negotiation with God because we think he's like a lawyer. Now, others of people, uh, they view God kind of like a prom boyfriend. And they say, like, man, God, I'm so in love with Jesus, and he gives me all the good feelings. And so as a result of that, like, they come slow dance with Jesus for an hour every week on Sunday. But then we get to the rest of the week, man, we got our eyes on all these other guys and things and all these other things that pull our attention. And then we get to this place where, like, well, if if I have weird feelings because I don't feel like we're good, then clearly something's not right between us. And we we view God in that manner. For some people, it's like this. Like, we view God like OnStar. Anybody remember OnStar back in the day? Like, OnStar is in the car. You press the button when you need something, and then your kids press it when they're not supposed to press it, and you're like, I'm sorry, OnStar. This is my kid. No, you know what OnStar was? OnStar bails you out. You press the button when you need something. OnStar, I'm lost. OnStar, I need a restaurant. And here's what happens. Some of us view God like that. We think, well, if I can just pray the right prayer, do the right things, act the right way, then maybe I'll get God to give me whatever I want. And if we were honest, I think many of us would have to go, yeah, I've viewed God that way before. You see, we have all these different views about God, but in Scripture, Jesus primarily wants us to view God and know God as Father. Father. 189 times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father. However, here's the deal. Here's the reason that's so hard. Because all of us have daddy issues. All of us. It doesn't matter if your dad was a phenomenal dad or whether he was a sorry dad. Like, he shaped your perspective on how you would view a father. If you want to get grown men to cry, greatest way to get grown men to cry, gather them around a campfire, let them roast some marshmallows, and ask them to talk about their dads. It'd be a snot fest. Like, I can't hold it together, right? Some wise people have said this, that the most influential relationship in your life and mine, the most influential relationship, is our relationship with our father. And some of you go, well, I didn't have one. Well, that was the most influential thing in your life. 39% of children live without their father. And over 50% of children born this year will be born in a fatherless home. We have a problem. And there's a whole other sermon in that for us as dads to go, oh my goodness, what are we saying and doing with our life? But here's the deal. With all that on the table, Jesus goes, hey, I want you to know God as father. I want you to know him as daddy. So here's the thing today that all of us have to view before we dive into Luke 15. You all got to put this filter up. Today, you cannot view God as a reflection of your earthly father. But he is the perfection of what it means to be a father. Okay? So don't put your dad over God. All right? Today, he's going to demonstrate what it looks like to be an everlasting father. And so in Luke 15, Jesus tells a very familiar story, you're going to probably know it, about the heart of an everlasting father. So go with me, Luke 15, verse 1 is where we're going to start. 
Scripture says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, let's understand this first. It says that there were tax collectors around. Now, tax collectors in this day were way different than tax collectors today. All right. Now, if you work for the IRS, let's just be real. You're probably not everybody's favorite person, but we can deal with you. Like, you got an invite to the Christmas party. Tax collectors in this day, whole different thing. These guys were basically robbing their relatives to fund, if you will, a terrorist government organization. So to say that the tax collectors were hated and despised is to put it really, really lightly. But yet, they're here at Jesus' feet listening. On the other hand, Luke says that there are also sinners that are gathered around. Guess what? These guys got their own category. You want to know who made up their category? The religious people. Because they said, well, they're clearly not as good as we are. But Luke says these are the people that are gathered around Jesus. It's the sinners and it's the tax collectors, and they're all waiting to hear Jesus. But it also says there's some other people there. Did you catch that? There's some religious people gathered around. These are, these are the high church people. You know what I'm talking about, like the people who never miss Sunday school, who only listen to K-Love, who only wore Christian t-shirts, like the one, it looked like it said Sprite, but it actually said Spirit. Okay, you had that one before? It looks like it says Abercrombie and Fitch, and then you do a double take and you realize it says a breadcrumb and fish, all right? Some of you going to ask for that for Christmas. Don't do that. Don't do that, okay? But these are, the, these are the churchy people, and here's what they do. They were looking down their noses at the tax collectors and sinners going, what are you doing here? And it's in this context, that smorgasbord of people, that Jesus begins to teach in Luke 15. And interestingly enough, he tells three different parables. He tells a parable about a lost sheep. He tells a parable about a lost coin. He tells a parable about a lost son. And if you ever caught the theme of those three, I'm sure you probably have, that something gets lost, someone pursues it, and then it gets found and everybody celebrates. And Jesus, because he's a master teacher, he delivers this word to this crowd. And I want you to look down with me at verse 11 as Jesus begins making a point about the heart of an everlasting father. Skip down to verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, hey, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Here's what this younger boy is saying in essence. He's saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Like, I don't really want you, but I'd love to have your stuff. And so if you'll stop telling me what to do and just give me what is mine. And verse two says that this dad divided up the estate. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, if I'd ask my dad, hey, why don't you give me what's coming to me? He'd be like, pull out his belt. I'll give you what's coming to you, right? Some of us knew that dad. That's not this dad. But this dad gives the boy what he asked for, and he gives some to the older son and some to the younger son. And look at what happens in verse 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Preble says he wasted, he blew it all on wild living. Here's the reality that we all have to grasp today, no matter how old you are. Anytime we get out from under the care of a loving father, it feels like freedom. But every road has a destination. And maybe for some of you, like you've lived that story, and you know, man, you can chase your desires and your plans and all your purposes for long enough. Can I just be real with you today? They all end up at the same dead end. 
And this younger son found that to be true. And in verse 14, here's what happens. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Uh Uh-oh. The younger son's fun train came to a screeching halt because he ran out of dough. Right, like you in college, you remember after you went to Burger King and like they said, you got nothing left on the card and you call mom and dad, I got nothing. That's where he is. Here's what I think he found. I think he found that, that sin's fun for a season. It can be fun for a season, but it's also like skydiving without a parachute. First little while, you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then you go, and nothing's back there and you go, uh-oh, we got a problem. And that's where this younger son was. Because anytime we get out from under the care of a loving father, it feels like freedom. But every road has a destination, and that road will ultimately live in bondage, leave you in bondage, or leave you in death. And here's what happens in verse 15 it says, So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. In other words, the money ran out, and the son had to find a job. And so he lands a job feeding pigs. Now I get it. Like even for most of us, unless you farmed at some point in your life, that don't sound real fun. But you got to realize for a Jewish boy to feed pigs, like that was the bottom of the body. It did not get any worse than that. It would be like Pastor Josh, who's a huge rebel. It would be like him being the water boy from Mississippi State. It's that bad. That bad. It's the bottom of the box. That's where this younger son finds himself. And look at what it leads him to say. Verse 16, it says this. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In other words, the younger son is not only financially bankrupt, but he's spiritually bankrupt, and he finds himself with nothing to eat, but he starts looking at what the pigs got, and he gets jealous of what they have. Here's what we may miss as we read this story. We may fail to see that in this situation, when the son found himself in this place, it may have been, it may have been the very grace of God on his life. See, there's a difference in the wrath of God and the grace of God. Sometimes the wrath of God will give you what you want. But the grace of God sometimes will allow you to get to the lowest place so he can humble you, so he can rescue you. And in this moment, this man found the grace of God. And the reality is many of us, many of us can't really look up and see the grace of God until we get to the lowest point of our life. And perhaps today, perhaps some of those really difficult, tough things that you couldn't figure out that you had to go through over the last year may have been because God was trying to humble you so that he could allow you to look up and see him. See, God will humble you to get you to the place where you just look at him, not just to go, God, give me, give me, give me, I want, but so you go, God, I'm depending on you. I'm leaning on you for every moment of every day. That's the relationship that God desires. And in his grace, he'll do a lot of things to get us there. And I think he does that here with this son. And look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, Hey, man, how many of my dad's hired servants have food to spare? And look at me, here I am starving to death. I love that verse 17 says, when he came to his senses. In reality, this is the most pivotal point in this man's life. 
most pivotal point in his life. Because in this moment, he realized he was insufficient. He realized his plan wasn't going to work. His strength wasn't enough, but he needed a father. And guess what? It's not any different for you and me. And until you get to that place, no matter how old you are, until you get to that place, you will never return to God. You won't. The reality for somebody maybe in the room today or listening today is that you may be at the lowest point of your life because God is humbling you so that he can rescue you and show you his grace so that you'll look up at him. Because otherwise, all you do is look at you and yours and what you got. But look at verse 18 and 19. Here's what happens. The son repents. He turns directions. And here's what happens in verse 18. He says, he starts thinking. He goes, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, hey, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Hey, why don't you do this? Would you make me one of your hired servants? So what's happening is the son decides to go back to his dad, so he starts working on an apology. You ever been busted before and you knew you were busted, so you started working on the apology on the way back? Come on, somebody in the house, don't lie to me today. Right, you, like the curfew was 11, and for some reason you quit looking at the clock, right? Your phone went dead, okay, and, and then mama texts you at 1130, and you go, I'm dead, like it's, it's over right now. And so all the way home, you're like, you're formulating your apology, you know, like this is going to be the end of you. That's what this son was doing all the way home. And guess what? The reason he was doing that is because he didn't understand the love and grace of his dad. He didn't understand the heart of a father. The son thinks this. He actually says this. He says, I'll just ask my dad to let me work for him. Maybe I could be a hired servant. And what he's thinking is maybe I can pay my dad back and he won't be so mad. Verse 20, look at it. It says, so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father ran to him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. If you ask me, like this is the coolest scene in the whole story, because it says the father saw his son while he was still a long way off. In other words, daddy'd been waiting at the window day after day after day, waiting on his boy to come home. And when he saw him, verse 20 says that he was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion. You know what the Greek word is for that word compassion right there? The Greek word is the word splachma. Is that not like just cool to say? You guys want to say that with me? Splachma. Cool. That's awesome for the five of you who participated in that. Splachma. You know what that means? It means like this deep gut love. It's like when, when it, like all my mama's in the house, like when your, your baby is a little baby and you go, oh, you are just so cute. I'm just going to eat your little face off. Yes, I am. I'm just going to eat you up. And you're like standing there going like, that's weird. Don't, don't really do that. Like that's weird. But it's this deep inside love. Like, man, it's just over. You can't control. All you do is love. That's the compassion that the father feels for the son who's been wayward. And then it says he's filled with so much compassion that he ran to his son. Now, listen to me. I get it. Like, that wouldn't be super weird today. Like, if a son had seen a father in a while for the dad to run to his son, them embrace, like, we'd be like, oh, that's cool. It'd probably go viral on YouTube. But in this moment, it was scandalous. It was scandalous for a man, a dignified man, to run because dignified men didn't run. For some of you, that's the excuse you've been using. I'm dignified. That's why I can't go to the gym. I'm going to run, right? Listen to me. No, it's not. No, it's not. But this man ran. The father 
ran. And the father, the reason it was so hard is because the father probably had on multiple layers of tunics. Like he had outfit and outfit and robe. And so for him to run, you got to picture this, like he had to grab all of these tunics and hike them up to run to his son. And so when he ran, there was probably some man thigh showing and that's wrong. You don't do that, right? Like side note here, all these high school and college age boys now run around their little shorty shorts in this new trend, all right? If that's you or you got one of those, would you get them some grown man drawers for Christmas? Let's just, let's end that. Let's end that. That's wrong. You don't do that. Now listen to me. This father ran because his boy had come home. You see, here's the thing. In this, men, in this moment, men didn't run because it was shameful, but you know what this dad did? He ran because he didn't want the shame on his boy. He wanted the shame on himself. It was the picture of the cross. And the reason this dad ran, the reason he acted like he did is because of this thing in this culture that was called kezezah. Kezezah. You see, that was what you were supposed to do to a disobedient, rebellious son, which was exile him from the family or stone him to death. That's what was supposed to happen. Jesus didn't like randomly make up this story and just come up with it off the wall. This was real life happenings that went down. And in those moments, rebellious sons suffered the worst punishment for their rebellion. And so in this moment, everybody listening had probably seen this story happen or they'd heard a story very similar, but Jesus changed the ending. He changed it. Like if I started today and I was like, "Twas the night before Christmas, all of you know how that story ends, right? Santa Claus comes to the house. But in this moment, Jesus changes the ending from, and then the boy was killed for his disobedience, and Jesus changes it to, but the father welcomed him back in love and compassion. We see the heart of this everlasting father who is filled with compassion, who takes the shame from his son, who loves the boy despite his rebellion. And pick up in verse 21, here's what happens. The son said to his father, he says, Father, he starts laying it out. He's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Man, I'm no longer worthy to be called your servant. Verse 22, but the father said. So the son, he's practicing that apology. It's game time. He's laying it all out. And the father just goes, listen, stop, stop. Like, I don't need it. That's not how I feel. That's not how I feel. And in this moment, the father begins a response. Now, most of us have heard this story before. We understand the symbolism there. Who who is the father in the story? Who does he represent? He represents God, right. And so here's what's happening. When the father interrupts his son's apology, you know what Luke is writing here as we start at verse 22? He's writing, but God. But God. And interestingly enough, later in the New Testament, you want to know what Paul writes? But God. Look with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse one, look at this. This is our story, your story, my story. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the hearts of those who are disobedient. That's all of us. We've all been under that pull. Some of us still today. Verse three says, here's what we did. All of us lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our flesh. That sound like high school and college. We followed its desires and thoughts. That sound like last week. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Just like the younger boy, that was us. Verse four, but God, but God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. But God, 
But, God, the reality, church, is all of us are the younger son. All of us are the younger son. We've all stiff-armed God. Be like, Daddy, I don't really want you, but I'd love to have your stuff. Those promises you make, those sound pretty good, but I don't necessarily need your reign over my life. And we've all stiff-armed him. But Ephesians says, but God. And guess what? Romans says it too. Romans 5, 8, look at this. But God demonstrates his own love for us. Or how about you in this? While you, while me, were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, God loved. But God, while we were still covered with the smell of pigs, the decisions of our past, the shame from those decisions, God stepped in and he's like, but God, here's love. Here's the heart of a father. And guess what? Here's the deal. Believe it or not, It gets even better. Look at verse 22. It says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The boy's trying to get out his apology. He's been working on it for three days. And the father's like, no, 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 stop, stop. Hey, guys, go get the gifts. Bring them. I've been waiting to give them back. Give them to him. And he brings out three incredible gifts. I want you to see what these gifts mean. First, he gives him a robe. He gives him a robe to cover his filth. In the same way God does that for you and me, he gives us a robe of righteousness to cover, cover our unrighteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin. That's the cross. So that we might receive the righteousness of God. In other words, student, single adult, mom, dad, listen, if you're in Christ, God no longer views you based on your righteousness, but now it's the robe of Jesus' righteousness over you. That's how he sees you. He gives him a robe, then he also gives him a ring. You know why I gave him a ring? It meant that he was adopted back into the family. He mattered to the Father. That's exactly what God does for us. He adopts you back into sonship, Romans tells us. And then the last gift, he put sandals or shoes on his feet. And here's the symbolism here. The servants were all walking around barefooted. You know why he gave the boy shoes? Because he wanted to know, hey, I know you wanted to come home and be a servant, but you're not going to be a servant. You're going to be a son. And he gives him these gifts. And I just, I mean, I just imagine like the chatter. Can you think about it? Like all the gossip is going around. Like all the servants are going like, what? This kid's been gone. Like, what, what, did, what did he do to deserve? He got a robe. He got a ring. He got the shoes. Like, what did he do to deserve all this? And you know what the father probably responded? Nothing. He came home. He came home. Church, in the same way, man, our really good dad, our everlasting father, in grace, in love, looks at you and looks at me, and he offers the same invitation. He says, will you come home? And the reality is today, God the Father, he waits at the window. He is waiting at the window for some of you today for you to come home. And would you hear this? I mean, you don't come home today to an angry, condemning father. Scripture says you come home today to a God who is full of love, compassion. That's the heart of the everlasting father. See this word prodigal? Probably on the top of your section, it's like prodigal son. You know what the word prodigal really means? It means lavish, great extent. So we could, we could take the liberty today to retitle the parable, the prodigal father, because of the lavish way 
that he loved the son, which ultimately means the lavish way God has loved you and me. But it begins to change. There begins to be a different shift in the story. Look at verse 23. Luke 15, 23. The father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. They about to eat. It's going to be ribs and brisket coming right here. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. The father is clearly saying, as I read it in the Greek, the Hebrew, the English, we about to have a party. He says, we're celebrating because my son has come home. And I believe because scripture says it, that God celebrates when his kids come home. Guess what that means, church? That means that for the church today, we should be a people and a place that celebrate like nobody else when God's children come home. Now, the reality is we've gained a label, we've gained a tag as being the place that condemns when people try to get back to God. But I'm telling you today, that's not the heart of the everlasting father. God celebrates when his kids come home. No matter where they've been, he celebrates. And here's what happens. Look at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son, remember him? Got younger guy, here's the older son. He was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. Now, think back. Remember the crowd that Jesus was teaching to? There were sinners, tax collectors, and then all the breadcrumb and fish people, all right? All the religious people over here. And what were they doing? They were trying to figure out, why are the sinners and tax collectors here? What are they doing at at church today? Why are they hanging out with Jesus? And so Jesus, because he's a really master teacher and he's like really sly, and so here's what he does. He he inserts the older brother into the story. Because you know who he represented? All the religious people. And he slides him in and he begins to talk about this. And so the older brother, right, who had stayed for his father working in the field, it says that he hears the party going down in the house. And the scripture says there was music and dancing. Now, I know for all of us Baptists in the room, that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. But I'm just saying, Jesus said here, there was music and there was dancing. Like it was a throwdown in the house. Now, I'm just thinking about it. Like, I can imagine the scene. It's a party. Everybody's in. There's a lot of stuff. Like, the older crowds over here kind of doing the twist, all right, because that's their jam. Some of y'all, come on with me. That's you, all right? And then, like, the people kind of in my generation were going with the, the musical instruction songs, like, right foot two time. Everybody clap your hands, right? And then we go, like, are we not phenomenal dancers? Are we not good? You're like, the song told you what to do. Like, you're really not that good, Right? And then, and then there's, there had to have been the younger crowd. There had to be the young people there. And they, you know what they were doing. They were all flossing. No, I'm not going there. Uh-uh. Uh, you thought so. I, I ain't going there today. There's a lot of reasons I'm not going there today, right? Here's the thing. They were having an all-out throwdown. You know why? Because the son came home. The dad thought he was lost. Dad said, I thought he was dead. He came home. And God the Father celebrated. Scripture says, church, that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one who repents than over 99 righteous people who need not repent. Look at the older brother's response to this. Verse 26, the older brother called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on at home? And the brother, and they said, your brother has come He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now listen to me. We could say today that the older son and the younger son were lost. 
Although one had run off and squandered in wild living, the other had stayed home and served in bitterness. And here's the truth today. The reality is some people reject God in heroin and some people reject God in Sunday school. And the younger son, he had sinned from the sin of the fruit. I don't want your way, God. The older son had sinned from the sin of the fig leaf. I don't need you, God. I can cover up my own shame. I'm pretty good. And while the younger son's sin was rebellion, the older son, we could say, sinned in religion. And the older brother, it says, he didn't want any part in the party. He wasn't really pumped that his brother came home. It's kind of like whenever your kid, maybe it happened a few weeks ago, like when your younger son or daughter gets really mad, like right before Thanksgiving dinner, and they go to their room, shut the door, and like, I'm not coming out to eat with any of our family. Right? If you're like me, like you go in there, you're like, you're going to get your tail out there. Mama's been working on the food for like six hours. You better get out here. That's how I approach it. But you know what this dad did? It's not how he did it. it. says he came to his son in grace, in compassion. He met him where he was. In other words, God meets us in the pig pen, and he meets us in the religion. And he came after his son, and he invited the older son to the party. And listen to the older son's response. Verse 29. He answered his father, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my buddies. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even say brother of mine. He's like, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The dad's inviting this brother to the party, and all he wants to know is what he can get out of his dad. He's like, you never gave me this. You're giving him all these things. You never gave me nothing. In essence, he's saying, my brother ran off and squandered, but I earned this, Dad. You see, here's the, what can be the pull of religion on our life is we get to that place where we go, God, I thought I did it the right way, so clearly you owe me something. And guys, sometimes we can become such professional Christians that it get really dangerous in that place because we forget the compassion that God has on the sinner. But it's seen right here in this story. You know how to know if you're a Pharisee or not? When you see sin and those around you, maybe it's some friends or family or coworker, does it disgust you or does it drive you to compassion? Because God had compassion for the sinner and he longed for them to come home. He invited them to come home. Man, I think just real talk today as your pastor, like as church people, sometimes we can get, we can get so forgetful of how sinners act. Like sinners. We forget that. We start saying, well, they shouldn't be saying that. Or they shouldn't be doing that. Listen to me. They're still living in sin. They don't know better yet. But there's a calling on us to invite them into the party. It's kind of like when you have a kid and your little kid's really sick, right? Do you, do you go into their bedroom and like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you in here? Get out of the, like, shake that off. Stop acting like that. Is that what you do? No. We walk in there in compassion. We go, man, I love you, and I'm here for you, and I want to be here for you. And here's what we're seeing in this story. Sin is a sickness. It's infected humanity since the beginning of time. It's not just a series of a few bad choices, but it's deep inside all of us. And sin will tempt us and take us to places we would never go on our own. But in this moment, God the Father had a heart of compassion because he was an everlasting father. And he just longed for both his boys to come in and listen to his heart. In verse 31, he says to the older son, my son, the father said, you're 
always with me and everything I have is yours. Listen to that promise. Verse 32, he says, but we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. Notice the father doesn't apologize for celebrating the younger brother. But he invites the older brother in too. Which means that God is an everlasting father. He invites in the sinner and the saint. He invites in the religious and the rebellious. He invites in the convict and the church kid. So I want to ask you today, as a student, as a mom, dad, grandparent, single parent, and I wonder today, maybe is it time for you to leave your rebellion or your religion and come home to an everlasting father? See, no matter what your view of father is, That's the heart of the everlasting father. And as some of you think about that invitation, some of you think that you're too good that you don't need to. And you're wrong. Because the party's for you too. And some of you rolled in today and you thought you were so wrong and so bad, you shouldn't get to. And you're wrong too. Because the party's for you too. So no matter how you view father today when you hear that word, that's the heart of God, the everlasting father. I wonder, is today the moment, is today the moment for you to leave your rebellion or your religion and come home to that kind of father? Do you pray with me? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.